having a wonderful day and if you're not it's gonna get better because you are listening to the arts report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host Saira Unju and I'm so excited that you're tuning in. We have a fun little show for you today. The reason I say little is because we have less content than usual, which means that, you know, you can get, you can focus more on these things that, I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Okay, so what we're gonna, oh, I'm sorry, that's my, that's my metal straw. I'm drinking water. Anyways, <laughs> so today we have an interview with Jim Smith once again. I've previously spoken to him about Digidance and their first presentation, Body and Soul, and apparently it was uh, very overwhelming. So that's exciting. You will hear more about it in the interview. And then we have some shout outs, three or four of them, I think. And afterwards, we have an interview that Henry's doing of White Rabbit, Red, Red Rabbit, that is presented by The Colch. And I think that's all, actually. So, uh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna start with my interview with Jim Smith. We talk about Joe, Digidance's uh, second presentation. It is very exciting because this hasn't been performed since the 90s. Its uh, premiere was in 1984 and hasn't been performed since the 90s and no current company has it in its repertoire apparently Jim told me so in the interview that you will be listening to right now so if you want to watch Joe it's going to be streaming from the 18th until the 21st uh yeah also I mentioned at the end of the interview that we have a giveaway uh the thing is we already had the giveaway (laughs) So uh, if you want to catch our next giveaway, keep keep posted on our social media. I will talk more about it after I come back. So for now, enjoy the interview. Hello everyone. Today I have Jim Smith with me once again. He is the artistic director and executive director of Dance House. We have spoken previously about DigiDance and their first presentation, which was Body and Soul. And now we will be talking about their second presentation, which is Jean-Pierre Perrault's Joe. And it'll be streaming from March 17th until March 23rd. Hi, Jim. Welcome back to the Arts Report. It's good to have you again. How's your day going so far? Very well, Sarah. It's a great pleasure to be back here with you. Thank you. Uh, Congratulations on the launch and the first presentation with Digidance. Um, How was Body and Soul? How was everything? 
I have to say that we were um, overwhelmed by the level of success that we feel that we achieved. We had very uh, modest goals, I would say, okay. in terms of uh, how, um, you know, how many people may tune in or participate in mm -hmm. terms of viewing the work. But I have to say that all of our goals were, uh, you know, far uh, surpassed. So that's really, really fantastic news, I have to say. Yeah, that's amazing. I hope Joe will be as overwhelming as Body and Soul was. Yeah, us yeah. too. Yeah, and so talking about Joe, um, how would you describe it? So Joe uh, was one of those very interesting projects in terms of programming. Uh, again, just a, a little bit of background about DigiDance. When we were conceiving of, you know, the idea of streaming work and then talking specifically about what sort of work could we bring, um, we were, again, trying to challenge ourselves with potentially landing uh, productions or companies that we couldn't, uh, you know, readily put on the stage. Mm -hmm. In the case of the Paris Opera Ballet, for example, the one we just previously did, that's a company that very rarely tours. They are very much um, rooted into um, uh, the theater in Paris. There's two of them, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, you know, uh, bringing the Paris Opera Ballet to Canada and specifically to our BC audiences was uh, a, a great um, opportunity, a great fit. Joe is another one of those works that it would be uh, not easy to land on stage just because this particular production is not currently in a, a living company's repertoire. Mm -hmm. It's historic. So um, Jean-Pierre Perrault, who, uh, you know, was a, a, you know, in many ways left a huge mark on the Canadian dance scene for uh, all of his work in a, you know, his opus in a number of ways, but certainly Joe in particular is one of those iconic works um, because of its scale, its size, it plays very much on um, his, you know, great curiosity of having the performer actually create the sound score. Uh, in this case, it's, you know, the percussiveness of boots uh, stomping on a stage that mm. creates uh, the rhythm and, um, you know, the, the actual, uh, what, you know, what the audience hears and what the performers actually perform too. So it's, it's, it's one of those iconic pieces that is difficult to deliver to the stage other than uh, by bringing it digitally in this sort of ar ar archival form. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so talking about, you mentioned how um, important Jean-Pierre Perrault's work is. So why is it so important? What makes it so timeless that a piece that premiered in 1984 is being presented now in 2021? In, in many ways, it's interesting to look at the, the Quebec influence or the Quebec scene, uh, uh, certainly on the Canadian dance scene, but even internationally, I would say. If, um, you know, uh, there's a number of us that sort of subscribe to theories that, you know, you can see that Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec, and, you know, more specifically Montreal, was a hotspot in terms of informing um, the contemporary dance scene internationally. And, you know, I would point to not only Jean-Pierre Perrault, but also... Um, Edward Locke, for example, mm -hmm. or Jeanette Lorraine, um, uh, Marie Chouinard, these were all, you know, artists of the 80s, I would say, that, uh, you know, the, the Quebec dance scene sort of came forth onto the international world and everybody was like, what, what's that? <laughs> what's that all about? So it was a very important time, I would say, uh, you know, subsequently, you know, I, I, I'd also would draw the 
alignment with it was also a time when uh, separatism was uh, quite alive and well in the province. So mm -hmm. just as uh, the Quebecois were saying, you know, uh, sure, we may be Canadians, but we're more important to Quebecois, which mm -hmm. was sort of the sentiment of the time. This was also reflected in the artistic scene of the province and certainly on the dance scene. And so there was this distinctive voice that emerged within uh, Canada, but certainly viewed as being, uh, you know, distinctly Quebecois. And that really sort of got the attention of the international dance world. Subsequently, by way of anecdote more than anything else and not to go on, but, you know, the next hotspot was arguably in uh, Brussels in Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, which was a time when the EU was coming together and there was Belgian, uh, the Belgians saying that, yes, we're part of Europe, but we are Belgian first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then the same group that subscribed to these theories of Quebec and then, uh, you know, the Belgians and then, you know, uh, the, the, the more, the most recent hotspot is arguably in Israel, which is, uh, again, where identity and geography and political identity all get sort of pulled together in a very unique way. Anyways, I've taken yeah. us a bit off of the track, but um, <laughs> certainly for Jean-Pierre Perrault and in this time period, there was sort of a heightened sense, uh, a heightened curiosity around uh, the scene in Montreal, in Quebec. And uh, with Joe, uh, this, the sheer scale of the work, which ended up, you know, ultimately being grown into um, a company of 32 performers. And, and yes, there are lots of classical ballet um, productions that have, you know, very large casts. Mm -hmm. In the contemporary world, this was something that was somewhat groundbreaking, uh, particularly in the Canadian context. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's one of those works where it had a big impact on the audiences that ended up seeing it, again, just by its sheer scale and scope. But all the performers who ended up actually, you know, uh, passing through that work as a performer, and there were a number of them, just because just because the project began as a work for students. So it was actually in the context of um, some university programs that the work had its very first initial sketches and uh, first uh, forays onto the stage. And then over time, the cast got, you know, further professionalized and ended up being more a company of professional dancers. But all that's to say the number of performers, either in their student days or in their professional days that sort of, you know, got passed through this production also uh, left a considerable impact on, you know, the dance scene of today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was great explanation. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that this was, so no dance company currently has Joe in their repertoire and the presentation is a recording from when? I want to say 19, hang on, hang on. It's a CDC recording that was a bit like 1995. Oh, wow. So it's, um, it, it's when it, it's, it, you know, the, the, the thing we keep hanging on to is that, you know, uh, you know, uh, technology has changed a lot since 1995. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea and the context of Joe are very much alive. Certainly the, the quality of the footage is reflective of what a capture would have looked like in 1995. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that's interesting to note is that this would have also been uh, after the time, uh, it would have been just in advance, pardon me, of Jean, uh, Jean Perrault's sad passing from this, uh, from this earth. It was in uh, 2004 when mm -hmm. he uh, sadly passed away, pardon me, 2002 when he sadly passed away. So it was, um, it was a time that uh, he certainly would have had a hand in seeing what the work looked like. Uh, I would add as an afterthought, you know, even after his death, in 2004, Joe had an international tour which carried on uh, beyond the life of Jean-Pierre Perrault. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from my knowledge, Joe has never come to the West Coast with a tour, right? That's true. All of our sleuthing around, we can confirm that there's <laughs> never been a performance of Joe that's actually happened in Vancouver or on yeah. the West Coast. So this will be this will be the the first time for for Vancouverites and other people on the West Coast, which is really exciting. Yep, and yeah, and I was gonna say, and that's that's always a bit of a thrill, I have to say, and and one of the opportunities afforded by you know doing some work in the digital format is you know one never. One never wants to turn a presentation that you're offering into a history exercise or mm -hmm. a history lesson by no means. <laughs> and yet with a work that is like this, it is, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it feels so much more meaningful. It gives an audience uh, some richness when they have some historical context in uh, terms of looking at the Canadian experience today at stage. So uh, today on stage. So, you know, it is with a set of, um, with some aspiration of sharing this work, even though it is historic, mm -hmm. it helps, you know, our audiences here in uh, BC have, uh, uh, you know, some greater insight into what has come before uh, in terms of seeing the Canadian experience on dance stages uh, across Canada. Yeah. And talking about historical aspects, I read that um, a short documentary film will be shown after the broadcast of the performance. Um, I, so is that kind of why you guys decided to incorporate this? What is the kind of the what the short documentary is about is what I'm trying uh, to ask. Yeah, very much. We've tried with most DigiDance performances, we've tried to sort of, you know, wrap around the actual presentation, an opportunity for there to be a bit more insight, either into the artists who have created the work uh, or performing in it or into uh, the production of the presentation itself. So um, as we did with the Paris Opera Ballet, for those that saw it, uh, you know, there was about a 15 minute, um, it was before the presentation, mm -hmm. uh, it was the creative team really just sort of talking about, you know, their experience of working with the Paris Opera Ballet, which is a bit like, you know, working inside of a military operation, just uh, given the size of scale mm -hmm. and force. With Joe, um, it's after the show is when the timing of this material will come forward. It's being produced right now by our colleagues in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And it is very much looking at um, uh, performers who have danced at uh, danced in Joe and having them reflect on, you know, what was that experience like at the time, but also how is it informed, you know, their notions of dance or their uh, conception of being a dancer uh, at this point in time. There's also a couple of voices of some presenters. I want to say my colleague Kathy Levy and Pierre Demaray, who are you know um, also involved in Digi Dance, who also were around uh, when Joe was presented. I want to say at the Canada Dance Festival mm -hmm. in 1994. So it's um, I, I, I won't say it's uh, giving uh, ghosts voices, mm -hmm. uh, but rather trying try to deal with. Um, trying to bring some of the, uh, you know, primary sources of people that we were either involved in a production or involved in delivering a production to an audience or to the stage. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So the dancers that are featured in the documentary are the dancers from the, the well, 1995? Uh, from a range. There's actually the, uh, another thing that's going on in the background that is uh, not, not as, as much as in the public sphere is actually trying to gather all of the dancers for a bit of an alumni party. So trying Ooh. to actually, again, it's it's challenging time to have any parties given yeah. <laughs> the pandemic. 
but try to gather everyone together for a Zoom call. Uh, everyone, of course, uh, is going to have access to, you know, seeing the work that they performed in, but then also gathering them for an opportunity just to reconnect and sort of, you know, mark the passage of time. Yeah. Oh, that would be so cool. I hope I hope you'll be able to gather everyone and we'll yeah. be able to to witness that. That'd be nice. And so this is the about the short documentary. I'm wondering how it works. Is it uh, broadcasted right after the performance or is it like two different videos? People can watch it beforehand if they want to. How, how does it work? Uh, no, it'll roll out right after the presentation. So the... Um... Uh, when you when you subscribe, when you buy a ticket or an access link, uh, what happens is you'll see the presentation of Joe and then immediately following it, no technical intervention on any viewer part is required. It'll just mm -hmm. roll into the uh, documentary piece that will follow after it. Okay, perfect. And is it set how many performances that will be presented with Digidance in the near future? Or are you guys... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. It's not set. We know that there's going to be another one in April, and then we will be taking a bit of a break over uh, the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not at liberty to actually reveal. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what that is, we'll just have to build the suspense um, uh, what that will be. But I can say that certainly conversations are now starting uh, for the 21-22 season. And of course, in the current year, in the, the season that we're currently in, that you know, this was literally made up on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> which was, you know, both exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time. Uh, but certainly we are looking to the future. We certainly feel like there are some unique programming opportunities inherent in doing this digital work, as I've you know, talked a bit uh, about. So even with um, being able to return to the theaters, which all of uh, my colleagues, all the DigiDance colleagues are planning for, mm -hmm. we still see that there'll be some parallel digital programming that we will still put on offer. Uh, again, because it allows for this unique programming to bring to our audiences, but also it is allowing us to further extend some of the reach and provide some access to, uh, well, not live presentations, but some uh, dance presentations that otherwise people wouldn't have access to. Yes, that's so true. Sometimes I, I've definitely seen performances, especially with the dance house, that I'm like, well, I wish my mom and dad could see this too, but they live across the world, so they can't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know with DigiDance they can which is really exciting um so how can people keep posted about dance houses upcoming season possibly hopefully in person and also DigiDance ah uh, so dancehouse.ca that's the answer to all of your questions that's uh, our website where we do keep up to date with uh, all of our programming plans as they get announced and released certainly go through there and then, of course, we're very active on social media, as everybody has to be these days. Mm -hmm. So you know, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, you'll find uh, Dance House present all the time. We actually have, you know, I, I, I'm going to take a moment just to shine a special light on um, one of the aspects of putting forward Joe, which, as I've mentioned, is, you know, a, a archival and a bit historic. We're also taking this opportunity to try and shine a light on a very important uh, member of our community, which is Dance Collection Dance, which is, um, that's a bilingual name, which I've mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, fans of it. Um, but it's uh, a national uh, uh, partner that we have who is involved with actually archiving uh, dance history for Canada. So, um, 
I was just going to mention that on our social media channels right now, you'll actually uh, hear a bit about Dance Collection Dance. And again, this is uh, another opportunity just to allow our national dance audiences, as mm -hmm. we bring this material to them, to also make them aware of there is this body of work, which is about archiving Canada's past as it relates to past dance artists and uh, the productions they've put forward. So uh, happy to give a shout out to Dance Collection Dance in this moment as well. Of course, thank you for the shout out that I did not know that that was a thing. So it's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And also something exciting. Um, we're doing a giveaway to for tickets to Joe. Fantastic. Yes. So anyone who is listening to this right now can win tickets for Joe. They can watch it. Uh, it sounds amazing. So I hope I hope people will join. And for that, um, I'm wondering if your social media is just Dance House. Uh, I think it's a Dance House Vancouver. It depends on the platform. If you do a search for Dance House and Vancouver, they will all pop up. Okay, perfect. You guys know where to go. And I'll mention my social media after the interview. We don't need to do that right now. And yeah, it's exciting. Thank you for thank you for talking with me, Jim. It was great having you back here and learning more about Joe. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Sarah. CITR 101.9 CITR 101.9 FM 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 CITR Voices of UBC If you are sick and have contracted COVID-19 the BC Centre for Disease Control recommends staying home from work, school, and away from other public places. If you must go out, avoid using any kind of public transportation, ride-sharing, or taxis. Monitor your symptoms carefully. If your symptoms get worse, call your healthcare provider immediately. Get plenty of rest. Stay hydrated. If you have a medical appointment, call the healthcare provider ahead of time and tell them that you have or may have COVID-19. For medical emergencies, call 911 and notify the dispatch personnel that you have or may have COVID-19. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Or clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. As much as possible, stay in a specific room and away from other people in your home. Also, you should use a separate bathroom if available. If you need to be around other people in or outside of the home, always wear a face mask. Avoid sharing personal items with other people in your household, like dishes, towels, and bedding. Make sure all personal items are cleaned with general cleaning products after use. Clean all surfaces that are touched often, like counters, tabletops, and doorknobs. Use household cleaning sprays or wipes according to the label instructions. And we're back. Hello. You're listening to the Art Support on CITR 101.9 FM. And I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. It's so fun talking to Jim. And this is my third time interviewing him. So, you know, it feels really nice. Like we open, we start the interview and we're like, oh, like, yeah, hi. 
I already know you. You don't have that awkward the first time interaction, you know? And like Jim is actually the only person I've interviewed more than once. So it's really exciting. I don't know. Shout out to Jim. <laughs> so don't forget to check out Joe uh, at, you can look at it, uh, catch it on Dance House's website. You can find it there. It's dancehouse.ca. Uh, so talking more about the giveaway. So what we did is we posted on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter that we're doing a giveaway. And you can DM us to enter. Three people entered. The fourth person entered like the second after I chose the winner, which was very unfortunate. So what we do is people enter, we take their usernames, put them in a random name generator, not a generator, picker thing, and then it picks the the name for us and we have our winner and then I chose a second person in case the the actual winner doesn't respond in time and so that's how we did it so you might be wondering <laughs> well why did you mention it at the end of the at the end of the interview then well because I thought I would you know start the giveaway now but then we quickly realized that the premiere for Joe is tomorrow and that gives us a very little time window to have the giveaway so we decided to do it on our social media um to announce it on our social media we would have had it on our social media anyways but uh what we did differently is to just announce it there and have it there at the same time so if you don't want to miss any further giveaways make sure you follow us on our social media our instagram is arts report citr our twitter is citr underscore arts report and our facebook is arts report on citr 101.9 fm and i think we post some pretty cool stuff Ma the twitter is like the most fun because you like it's like you know stream of consciousness sometimes like when I first started recording from home and I was like I'm getting cozier with my, inside my closet because I used to record in my closet before I had the microphone because the clothes kind of worked as an insulation uh, but yeah you know fun stuff also I love chatting with you guys sometimes you know people respond to my tweets or like respond to my dms I've made a friend from someone responding to the, D the story I posted on our arts report account so like it's very fun um follow us make sure you follow us okay after this <laughs> promo. Let's get into our shout outs before we get into Henry's review of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit. That is such a tongue twister. Okay, <laughs> so our first shout out goes to a virtual birthday show slash fundraiser. So Julie H. Barrera, who is a performance artist and a fellow CITR volunteer does a fundraiser to give back to the community. For the past several years, they've been doing this and they're doing it this year too. And it takes place on March 20th. So it's called the Jewelry uh, event. 
I hope I pronounced that right. So the annual Jewelry is a music and art event organized on behalf of different charity organizations with the help of some amazing humans, including a few talented local artists, which in the past have inc included Emmy Gang. Oh my god, my wrist cracking. Anyways, Carmina Ray, Class Act, and Scribbly Doodle to, you know, to name a few. And in its first year, in its first online year, the Jewelry is set to be a choose-your-own-adventure-style event. It's going to be allowing viewers to select if their ticket price will be donated to Artemis Musician Society, the Hogan's Alley Society, the Sage, I think it's pronounced Sage, Community Food Bank, or a charity of their choice upon checkout. Uh, they're all commandable grassroots organizations who deserve some extra help during these uncertain times. So... We're hoping that, you know, together we can give them a substantial gift. The goal for this year is to raise a thousand or more dollars for each organization through an online silent auction and the sales of virtual interactive party kits, as well as pay what you can viewing access to the live stream. While um, they have historically raised between 200 to 500 dollars for charities, including the Sage Community Food Bank, Yellow Knife Rainbow Coalition and the Beauty Night Society, they believe the accessibility participatory participatory nature of this event um, and support from folks like you will make all the difference and yeah hopefully you guys will will attend and donate what you can you can get tickets from eventbrite so jewelry is spelled j-u-l-b-o-r-e-e -E. yeah i i hope yeah, I hope you can understand that. It was... Oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna put this water to the side because that metal straw is just clicking a lot. Okay. Also, if you're, you know, if you're like, okay, that's difficult for me to to just listen back and do it, it's gonna be in the description of our podcast, so you can you can just find it from there too. Our second shout out goes to the Sonic Boom Festival. I think I pronounced that very wrong. The Sonic Boom Festival. <laughs> so the Sonic Boom Festival will be held free online from March 23rd to March 28th. Um, Vancouver Pro Musica is excited to present the Sonic, the Sonic Boom Festival 2021 online with new music created by composers of British Columbia. The festival is rich in new and unique pieces by a variety of spectacular talent. Again, it's available from March 23rd to 28th. And... It's going to be combining concerts, concerts postponed from last year's festival, plus new concerts and events. And it's entirely free. It's accessible for all through their YouTube channel. So join them for a fabulous, you know, event of new music by BC composers uh, performed by BC musicians. And it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's the Sonic Boom Festival. Sonic like the Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> okay, our next shout out goes to Digital Moment. Okay, so Digital Moment is actually taking place in Victoria, British Columbia, not in 
Vancouver. Uh, and it's quite exciting because we rarely get stuff f- about Victoria. So if you're listening from Victoria, shout out to you. You can you can join this one. This will be held between March 26th and May 21st. So almost a whole, um, what's it called? Almost a whole month. <laughs> so it is a short film exhibit called Digital Moment at Flux Media Gallery. And I unfortunately don't really know much about the pricing, um, but you can definitely find out more if you go to the Flux Gallery or you can just Google it because that's a thing all of us do. Um Oh, the their website is fluxmediagallery.org. That is F-L-U-X mediagallery.org. And yeah, they're open Monday to Friday, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Make sure you check it out if you're in Victoria. Okay, um, so now I think we'll go into Henry's review. And then afterwards, we'll be back with some more stuff to share with you. And yeah, okay, enjoy! Good afternoon, everyone. This is Henry Kongskir here to give you another review of a play that I recently watched. So last Saturday, I watched a play presented by The Cult called White Rabbit, Red Rabbit on the 13th of March last week. Now, this play is a play that is presented every single year on the, th- on the 13th of March. Um, what's very important about this is that this actually date marked one year since the theaters were forced to close around the world uh, due to the coronavirus epidemic. Now, this play, White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, is by a playwright called Nassim Suleiman Pour, a Iranian playwright who wrote this about 10 years ago. Um, now, the actor, the whole point of this play is that the actor in question who acts this out is not aware of the script before being given the script. And so they walk onto stage and read, and read the script and just act out the play as a cold read. Now, the actor in this question was Amanda Sum, who I have to say, given the challenges of working in that situation, did an amazing job at being able to just, from the get-go, from a, like I said, a cold read of a play, be able to completely fill in their role and actually even interact with, with the script. What's interesting is, compared to other forms of, we would say, traditional plays where actors are given their plays a long time beforehand and are allowed to rehearse, this play is really about the interaction that the actor has with the script and how the script interacts with a the majority of the audience. Well, all the audience, actually. So before the show, of, uh, before the show, of course, is done in live stream format because we cannot physically be able to join the uh, the the uh, theater. Now there wasn't there was a live stu- there was a live studio audience, which is actually necessary for this play. Now before this play start, um, I will mention that this play has themes of suicide. So if you are tr- if this may bring triggering images for you, uh, please listen, but understand that. Uh, but please understand that there is there are themes of suicide throughout this play. Of course, there's the land acknowledgement as anything as anything starts. And so the so as I mentioned, the whole idea of White Rabbit is that an unrehearsed it's a chosen script in this case the script White Rabbit Red Rabbit and the actor picks it up and goes. So what's actually very interesting was throughout the play there's a whole idea of self narration where it's unsure where the actor and the playwright meddle together, and it almost seems as if the actor is the actor in themselves as a character, but also the character of the play of the playwright. Now, the whole point of this is that this play is incredibly meta, is incredibly self-aware, because the as the actor reads out loud, the the writer in this case, who we could say is the director of the play, directly instructs what what the actor must do. 
So as the sh as the play opens, on a table there is the script and two glasses of water with a unlabeled bottle next to it. Now the whole point of this bottle is that it's technically poison. It shouldn't actually be poison for the sake of a prop, but if the actor chooses to do so, they can actually pick poison. The whole point is, and, the, and as the play progresses, at near the beginning, the uh, the actor asks the audience and the members in the room to count out their numbers. After that, they ask for one of the audience members to come onto stage and pour said poison, or in this case, probably just syrup or something, into one of the cups. Now, why is this important? That really only becomes relevant near the end of the play, because as the play progresses, it actually it starts off as a more or less a red herring, where it tells you a bit of a funny story of a rabbit that has to go to the, to the play but cannot since they're being stopped by a bear because they don't have a ticket. And so the, this obviously you have to do this with multiple people. So while the actor is actually reading out the, um, reading out the instructions, we have the, an audience members acting out said scene. Now, of, obviously, now what's interesting is that despite, uh, like as I mentioned, there, will, there are themes of suicide in this, the first third of the play doesn't really talk about this. And then suddenly, this play turns onto a lot more personal note. And this personal note in question is actually the idea of the story or the concept of the ideas of the of the playwright. Um, in other words, that said animals that were seen on stage, said animals that were acted out by audience members are actually allegories to the real life to the real life that the playwright faces. For example, um, as I mentioned, there was a bear in the scene with with the uh, with the rabbit. In fact, this bear is technically an allegory for the military service that Iranians must pursue before they're able to gain a passport. And this is a central. This is a, one of the things that the playwright mentions as throughout as the as the play can, can continues is that they are unable to leave their country because of their lack of military service. For example, there is a crow, and that crow, I think, in my own personal opinion, is supposed to represent people telling on others in order to gain um, in order to gain an, a second hand. And actually, in fact, you could almost say that this is a Brechtian influence, maybe not with the use of animals as allegories, but the whole point that this play makes you think about the context of the author, and as the actor must stay within the writings of the writer. Um, at a certain point, as mentioned, there are, the playwright starts mentioning a story about their uncle, an uncle who had a very twisted experiment involving white rabbits and red rabbits. Now, the rundown of the white rabbit, red rabbit issue is that you take three rabbits, you put them in a cage, you starve them, and then you put a carrot at the top of a ladder. Whichever rabbit gets to the top of the ladder first becomes a red rabbit. Now, what he observed over time, oh, I forgot to mention that the white rabbits would get doused with ice-cold water, and he repeats this and repeats this. What he found that after a while, even without the, the white rabbits being doused in water, they would attack the red rabbit as soon as they, as they came down from the, where the carrot was. And from this, the, play, the playwright decides to do an idea and mess with the audience a little bit. So obviously, as the, there are themes of suicide, this is where this comes in. And I think it was handled actually very well, in a very jarring way. In the sense where, remember when I mentioned said glasses? with the poison? Well, one of them is technically, it wasn't actually poison, but it's poison in quotation, in air quotations, right? And so what happens afterwards is that the playwright goes on and on and on and talking about how technically the audience is as much of a white rabbit as it is a red rabbit. And there is a clear tension, and this is done very well, because throughout this entire time, nor the actor nor the audience is aware of which glass is poisoned. As And so the writer is, again, very blunt with said meeting. Now, the red rabbit itself is symbolic. You could say that it's a passing of the torch per se, or if it's you're a target or whatever. Um, but, but that's not. But that's not the whole point. But the point is, is that at one point the playwright talks about how the past makes the future and how the future is the past. In the case where, well, even though the white rabbits weren't doused with water, they still attack the red rabbit after they come. They come down from the ladder, and so 
at one point the playwright starts talking about multiple, multiple ways of suicide, which is very blunt and very straight to the point. And so, and he mentions another way to do it, which is in a very, very cynical, which is by repeating every single small cheat you've committed in your life, you've technically committed to die, you've technically trained yourself to die in a certain way through unlucky means. Because if you, as, as and I quote, swerve at the last second when you think you could pass that truck or cheat on a test. As I said, your mind will trick you just before you die, and luck is actually the key to said flippancy. So when the writer, and at one point in the play, the writer talks directly to the actor. Well, as the writer technically talks directly to the actor at the entire play. But they instruct the actor to place a chair and place the two glasses next to them. What follows is technically the writer admitting complete responsibility for the possible death of the actor. Then the actor is chosen, is given the option to choose. They actually hand off said script to an audience member who reads the following instructions. What ended up happening is that the actor decided to drink one of the glasses, and the final instructions of the play were for the audience to leave the room and leave the actor and lie on the ground to themselves, dead or alive. And the whole point of this play is that this play is not only a global tradition of talking about the power of theater, but is a very introspective look at the reality and the con- and the reality as well as the context that this playwright faces throughout the multiple traumas that have been in their family as well as through these twisted experiments of white rabbits and red rabbits and so another point of the play and a final a final thing i would like to say is that at the end of the play the writer technically addresses the audience directly and says now you are the red rabbit because you have been given this play and what you do to choose with it is what any other red rabbit would do and so i find that incredible because as a, as a, as a result of that Myself, as an audience member who was watching, technically witnessed a possible suicide. And so, as a result of this, it gives us a lot of power about the o- of, over the ability of action and inaction in situations, just in any general situation. And how, as a red rabbit, you could be complicit, but as a white rabbit, you are just as complicit. Now, I found the play overall very interesting and very follow-through, and it was very unconventional compared to a lot of traditional uh, traditional theater. Would I recommend this to other people uh, next year? Absolutely. It's something that you should definitely watch, and I think everyone should at least watch it for the first time, because watching it for the first time is kind of the whole point. You're not supposed to expect, you're not supposed to expect anything. And um, in general, I would like to, in general, I would like to say that the coach did an amazing job, as well as the actor did an amazing, amazing job, as well as the audience members that joined, um, joined them on stage in order to talk, in order to help with the play. Um, and on that note, I would like to say thank you very much for, for hearing me out, and I hope you have a wonderful day. FM Vancouver Reloaded, playing your favorite tunes and mouth-humping your ear holes full of voice talk. Yeah, we do that. In the context of Vancouver's opioid crisis, CATR would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies. Try not to do drugs alone. When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an Naloxone kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, 
breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit towardtheheart.com. Thank you and stay safe. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. I hope you enjoyed that review of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit. Hey, this time I actually said it. That's very cool. Before we go, I want to mention two more things. Uh, three more things, I guess. First one, um, check out Vancouver Opera. They've been having digital digital presentations of their performances uh they are at vancouveropera.ca we actually covered two of them so far we covered la voix humaine and the um, the amal and the night visitors <laughs> and they're currently having the music shop if you okay so how it works is of course you can get tickets uh, but you can also have a season subscription for the digital season for only $99, you can get access to all of the performances and you can watch the performances on demand anytime until June. Uh, you can also get single performance tickets. They're $30. Uh, the music shop is $30. The Women, yeah, they're all $30. And the cool thing is with the season subscription, you can see like, okay, my thoughts are scrambled. For example, La Voix Men and Amal and Night Visitors were past performances, right? But they're still on the website. So if you get a season's subscription, you can have access to all of them. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, okay. The second thing I want to mention is CITR's silent auctions. So CITR has been holding silent auctions on their Instagram page for a while now. I think since like um, February or something. God, okay. My brain has left the chat um, since fundraiser. It, like, you know, we had our fun drive, the fundraiser. Yeah, so since then. <laughs> okay, so what it is is basically they post the prize pack, what it is. If you're interested, oops, if you're interested, you comment and that's your bid. And you can comment again if someone bids higher than you and you can bid higher. Or if you don't want to, you can just leave it at it. The highest bidder wins, as with any auction. And if you want to know more about the upcoming prize packs, you can go to citr.ca and find them all there. And they have some pretty cool prize packs. I mean, I think last week's auction was pretty <laughs> like head to, head to head. Yeah, it's like two people were like outbidding each other. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, like the little adrenaline rush of like, am I going to win? I want to win. Um, but yeah, check that out. And again, just you can go to CITR's Instagram directly or you can go to CITR.ca and find out more about there. And lastly, I want to mention what's coming up next week. So next week we have an interview with Don Kishta. 
I hope I pronounced that right. Donkeystach? Donkeystach? I don't know. It's a band from Vancouver, again, a local band. And of course, Eva will be interviewing them. Eva is our music goddess on the show, and we love her. And we have a review of Out of Order by the Eight Fingers by Nico. And we also have a review of A Future for Memory, which is the current exhibition at the Museum of Anthropology by Silvana. And A Future for Memory, we that one, we actually had a feature... Uh, by Phoebe, one of our correspondents. And she talked with Fuyubi Nakamura, who is the curator of the exhibition. And the reason I say feature and not an interview is because it was kind of, you know, like a different segment. Um, she kind of had recordings from the media tour and then did some voiceover to that. And it's Pretty cool. Check that one out too. It's in our previous episodes. I don't remember the date exactly, but um, you can always find the find the episode pretty quickly because we have timestamps. So you can just look at the bottom of the description and see what's on the show if you don't want to read the whole thing. And it's pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Yeah, and check out all of these things that I mentioned today's show. They're all very cool. Um, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our show today. Uh, today is a little bit shorter than our normal shows because, as I said, we had less content and it's fine. You get to hear less of me. And if you do like my voice and if you do like listening to us, check us out on Spotify. We're now on Spotify. It's so exciting. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, shout out to you. <laughs> so if you just search uh, CITR Arts Report on Spotify, we should pop up. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts if you're more of a um, iTunes, Apple Music type of person. And as always, you can also listen to our podcasted episode at CITR.ca. We upload every episode we have every episode archived you can literally go back to the first episode and listen to that one too um yeah and with that i shall leave you to it i hope you have a fantastic day and i will be back here next week bye